Howdy friends, Craig here. In this episode, we drop into Weird Games' backyard and talk with players and henchmen from the U.S. Georgia meta about the growth league and tournament that they ran to help kick off the third edition of Malifaux. Anyone thinking of running a growth league or looking for a great way to bring back old players or even attract new ones should enjoy this. Before we jump in, our friends at Gadzooks Gaming have a sweet offer for all of our U.S. and Canadian listeners. Now, Gadzooks Gaming has always been a big supporter of the Third Floor, as well as Malifaux and a ton of other games like Wild West Exodus, Dark Age, Frostgrave, and Legion. What makes it my favorite online retailer is the customer service and their amazing custom terrain and accessories. They are giving all of our North American listeners free shipping if you spend over $100 and use the promo code THIRDFLOOR, spelled out one word, T-H-I-R-D. Check them out at gadzooksgaming.com. All the details are in the show notes. The promo code is third floor. Now on to the episode. I'm really curious as we get into the birth of third edition, um, kind of what the spread was on uh, factions. It enabled us to get a lot more games than we were getting. That's good. Because before it was it was begging for people to come play, and the growth league just it got them excited. Cut to the chase. Um, who, who was on the podium and who won? Brian, if you don't mind, can you kind of walk us through kind of the structure of of your growth league? Yeah, one thing I've seen is. If you learn how to play your master well, every single master feels broken. It's not as straightforward as it felt in M2E where this master does this, all you have to do is do this. It's more about the cruise. than stepping away from the screens, unplugging and sitting around a table to do battle with your friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars brings you the latest strategies, tactics, and reviews on board games, card games, and miniature games like Malifaux. If you want useful information on the games you already play or new insights on great games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to check in with the U.S. Georgia meta. Now this meta is in the Weird's backyard and recently many of the players did a growth league which finished with a full tournament. This can be a great way to introduce new players to Malifaux, get current players to explore new factions and masters, and up the game's visibility at the local game store. Now, this meta is lucky to have two henchmen supporting the game in the area. Brian Schoner and Matt Riddle are both here, along with one of the active players in the area, Josh Dean. Now, I've known Brian for several years. He's a, uh, actually a good friend of mine. Jimmy painted an amazing Adams Family-themed McMorning crew for him. He also came to our local shop last year, and we played each other. And this might surprise you, but I lost. Brian, welcome to the third floor. Can you give the listeners a bit of a background on how you found Malifaux? Uh, absolutely. And I'll say anybody who's played against me will also be shocked that you lost. Because <laughs> well, as much as I love this game, I'm terrible at it. Well, And, and that, that lets everybody who's beaten you realize just how bad I am, Brian. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so um, I had been a board gamer and RPG gamer for a long time. Um, started fiddling with 40K when I started getting interested in the miniature side of things. And I discovered I liked everything about Warhammer 40K except actually playing the game. So I started looking for something smaller. I kept seeing Malifaux boxes in players in my local gaming store. The miniatures looked really fascinating. Uh, our henchman at the time, Joshua Lee Center, gave me a demo probably early 2015, relatively early in second edition. And I was hooked largely because it used cards and not dice because dice hate me. Um, and then ever since then, I have been playing the game not very well, uh, but enjoying the heck out of it. Became a henchman not long after that and uh, been rolling ever since. Yeah, and you also have one of my favorite pri- podcasts, Brian. Can we talk about your podcast just real quick? Well, if you insist. Um, yeah, I uh, co-host a podcast called The Ascent of Board Games, which, as the name implies, has nothing to do with Malifaux, but everything to do with board games. And uh, we can put a link up in the show notes. And uh, if you guys are interested in uh, board games that aren't Malifaux, uh, please give us a listen. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah, and what I like about your uh, what you're about your podcast, Brian, is it's a very unique take. Um, so you guys, you know, you put a lot of um, different types of aspects of board games, mechanics, types of board games, and you really put them in a in a, in a great context. And uh, all of you guys on that podcast, you really know your stuff when it comes to board games. So it's it's one of you know I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it's when that one pops up on my feed, it always gets one of the first listens, man. So uh, yeah, we'll have it in the show notes to make sure everybody else can start listening too. Thanks, I appreciate um, that. Yeah, it's it's a good show, man. It really is. Now, our next guest is Matt Riddle. He's the uh, the other henchman in the meta, and it turns out he's never beat me. Now, of course, he's never played me, so um, <laughs> he was the TO for the event-ending tournament. So, Matt, welcome to the third floor, and uh, how did you end up becoming a Malifaux player? Well, thanks for having me, Craig. Um, so, I, uh, much like Brian, um, I've been into board games and tabletop gaming for a long time. Uh like most do, I started off with 40K and uh, Warhammer Fantasy, and uh, I got into Malifaux back in first edition when uh, I was still living up in Alaska. Uh, I actually worked part-time at a, uh, a hobby shop uh, to kind of pay for my you know, plastic addiction, and uh, while I was up there, we just happened to order in some Malifaux minis, and I thought they looked, you know, they were very different compared to most everything else that was out there. Really like the look of them, so picked up a couple of uh, boxes, and um, you know, I just I owned the minis. I, I, I liked having them, but I didn't really play so much in first edition. Didn't really give it a lot of attention. Uh, that was until second edition came around, and then I saw the plastic models that had come out, and I, I was hooked after that. I was you know pretty at that point in time. Um, I was pretty disenchanted with GW. I was actually looking for a new game, uh, more smaller scale, and uh, you know, I think the first crew box I picked up was, yeah, it was, it was actually Marcus and, you know, just fell in love with the minis and, uh, that's history. <laughs> that's history as far as they, they say. Um, I became a henchman pretty soon afterwards because, uh, you know, working at the shop, I was able to kind of push the game and show the miniatures to, you know, the local players of, you know, their miniatures games and, uh, you know, was able to hook a lot of people on, but obviously we didn't have anybody, uh, to run official events and that sort of deal. So I took it upon myself to become a henchman up there and kind of built a meta out there from scratch. And, uh, you know, then a couple of years ago when I moved down here to Georgia, um, 
you know, happened to meet up with Brian and uh, uh, Josh, who was uh, the other henchman at the time. And uh, very quickly, they brought me into the ranks and kind of picked up where I left off, you know, doing henchmaning down here. So that's very cool. Yeah. Malfo can get its hooks into you, man. It, um, yeah, especially yeah. if you're if you're somebody who's played a lot of different miniature games, um, it's, it, it feels like the greatest hits with a couple new elements. Um, uh, so that's very cool. All right. Last but not least, we've got, uh, Josh and some of you might uh, know Josh Dean from, uh, the AWP, uh, Facebook group, as well as the forums. So welcome to the third floor, Josh. And how did you find Malifaux? Yeah. So like the other two, I started with, um, 40 K. That's pretty much like the go-to start. Um, we got kind of disinterested by 40K as a game and uh, moved into Age of Sigmar. And that's pretty much been our primary game forever. But we started looking for like a smaller skirmish size game. And uh, my primary play partner, Brent, he introduced me to Malifaux. And uh, the way he introduced it was you can play the things of nightmares. And send those against your enemies and let them eat their dreams. And I'm like, oh, I'm sold. I'm sold. So my first crew was Dreamer. Nice. And uh, this was M2E. This was last January. So we've only been playing for a year and a half. And um, since then, I've moved into 10 Thunders with M3E. And uh, been loving it since. Like, we got in on closed beta. And been pretty active since then. We've played two or three games a week. Wow. Since we got into the closed beta. That's that's impressive, my friend. Yeah, it um the one thing I I have to say, I mean, granted you haven't been playing very long, um, but the rumor is is you're pretty good at the game. One thing that's nice, I think, is you know, if you come into it having played other games, a lot of the skill sets that you've picked up in 40k and stuff, they translate. Um, and I think uh the increased player agency you have in the game allows people that were, you know, good but frustrated with other games to be good and also perform well in this game. Yeah, getting acclimated to the skirmish aspect of it and understanding activation control, small things like that was a little bit of a change, yeah. but a lot of the skills translate. Oh, very cool. So, gentlemen, um, the reason I reached out to you guys to see if you would come on the show is, um, you know, we're we're part of the same southeastern group, and I saw Brian was putting together a growth league, um, and then you guys are going to have a tournament afterwards. And uh, when it was all wrapped up, I uh, pressured uh, Brian to help me get you guys together so we could talk about it because I think that that format of having a growth league followed by a tournament is something that a lot of um, of the metas out there should consider doing because I. I've been through it before and I've seen other metas do it and it, it really captures a few things. One, it allows you to kind of reinvigorate current players uh, because it encourages them to try something new. Um, that's not the same type of pressure that they usually have. And, you know, in a five, you know, five event USFT type, you know, stuff, but um, it also, I think attracts new players. Um, so Brian, if you don't mind, can you kind of walk us through kind of the structure of, of your growth league? 
Sure. Um, just to, to set a little context for it, the uh, Atlanta area meta is a little bit odd um, because Atlanta is a very spread out city. Um, I like to say that everything in Atlanta is at least 45 minutes from everything else. Um, and so we've got kind of two main centers of Malifaux play, both on the north side of town, one on the northwest, one on the northeast. And those metas don't get to mix very often just because of the distance between them. Uh, Matt and I both happen to be on the north northwest side of town so that's where most of our attention is uh and then the guys on the northeast side of town uh or the guys who at least play over there are making us look bad because they're getting a lot more games in than we are uh <laughs> which which showed in the results of the tournament but we'll talk about that later um but basically we wanted to keep the rules to this one as simple as possible we wanted to get as many people as uh, possible into the tournament or the the grow league because as you say um we wanted to help bring some new players in get some uh, existing players and, and first edition players sort of reinvigorated with the new release. So basically we started with uh, uh, 30 Soulstone crews and increased it by five stones a week until we got to 50. Um, basically we didn't do anything as far as specifying schemes or strats or anything like that. We basically let the players handle it themselves. And then for every game that was reported during the, during the grow league, uh, each player got a raffle entry, uh, so at the final tournament, we did a drawing. We had a, a Mats by Mars mat, uh, some some fate decks, some mystery boxes, some alt models. Um, basically, just trying to get some folks um, interested and psyched up for the upcoming release. Um, we didn't have uh, a lot of new players come in during the league. Uh, in fact, I don't know that anybody joined specifically for the league. Um, but I know that at least where Matt and I were, there were a number of folks who saw it and were curious and asked questions and wound up getting demos later. Um, so we're definitely drawing some new people into it. Um, we're hoping to really uh, push things uh, later this month when the actual third edition release comes out. We've got some big stuff planned then. Yeah, I think that's one of the hidden benefits, Brian, of, of, of a growth league is, is you're pushing people to the stores um, Malifaux turns heads between the quality of the models and the uniqueness of the setting. And then of course the cards. Um, so that's cool that you, um, you know, you ended up, you know, reeling some people in not be for the growth league, but because of the growth league, that's cool. On the Northeast side, we ended up, we didn't get any new players, but a lot of people who had stopped playing, um, throughout beta and whatnot. Yeah. Picked it back up. It's a low pressure way to kind of come back into three. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it enabled us to get a lot more games than we were getting. That's good. Cause before it was, it was begging for people to come play and the growth league just, it got them excited. That's cool. So Brian, how many total people between the two mini metas, like how many people participated in the growth league? Um, the number of folks I had entries for was eight. So it, it wasn't a real huge group. Um, but like I say, we've got some, uh, some folks who were definitely interested and I suspect there were more games that didn't get reported. Um, cause I know at least a couple of our, our Northwest side folks were playing, but I don't have them on my formal list. Um, you know, I was less concerned about getting the reports and more concerned about just getting everybody in. Um, yeah, it's it's a little. Uh, I don't want to say disappointing, but it's a, it's always been a little odd to me that um, the store where we play on the northwest side of town is is literally about two miles from Weird HQ. And mm -hmm. uh, while we get some some good support from the company, um, Matt Carter, who you've had on the show before, often comes by and you know plays the ringer, hangs out, does games, does demos, talks to folks. Um, it's just never been, you know, we have kind of a core group, but it's been a little 
bit tricky getting more people involved. So I'm really hoping third edition gives us a good reason and, and a good excuse to punch that up. Yeah. And, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the shop where you guys play. Um, uh, gigabytes cafe is, is our usual hangout. Great store. Great really store. Is. Yeah. I used to come to Atlanta for work a lot and, uh, always made a point to come up to gigabytes because I just thought it was a really, really neat place. Um, and yeah, there's, you know, no excuse for that not to be the strongest meta with, uh, with weird right there. But, um, I guess that's probably just one of those weird things. Cause it's kind of always been the case from my understanding. Yeah. Uh, even when I was there, the, the meta seemed to be about the same size. It's like we would have sometimes three or four games going on a Thursday night, which is our usual night. Uh, but if we did a tournament on a Saturday, it was just seemed to be hard to get a bunch of people in the same place. Thankfully, uh, that was a little bit uh, better this with this past tournament, and I'm hoping we'll keep the momentum going with third edition. Now, you mentioned in the structure, Brian, that you started off with 30 stones, and then each week you guys you know, increased it, so it was 35, 40, 45, 50. Um, did you have any restrictions? Like, did, did someone have to play the same master all those at all those different stages, or if they, let's say they added a model at 35 stones, did that model have to stay in their crew until they hit 50? No, we really kept it pretty free form. You know, we didn't want to do it sort of campaign style because especially at this point with folks that maybe hadn't played in the closed beta, there's a lot of, I need to try stuff out and see what's going on, see what I like. So we wanted to let people be as open as possible to, to trying different combinations of things and seeing what worked for them. I think that's real smart. So it was pretty much just as long as you stay in your faction and you have that many stones, you're good to go. That's a very smart move. I was hoping that was going to be the answer. Um, it's very tempting, I think, um, for those of you out there that are considering this to, to make things, you know, kind of more structured and cooler for a growth league. Um, but it's been my experience that the more, more layers you add to this type of thing, the more complicated it ends up becoming. And it, it, it discourages players from participating, even if they say they might play the first week and then not play the second week. And it uh, just overcomplicates it because, and Brian, I think you said it, or Matt, you said it, you know, the goal is to get people to be, to put their models on a table and, and to play the game. Um, and the, the least amount of barriers you can put uh, between those, the, between you and that goal, I think is uh, very smart. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, once we have, uh, once everybody's more familiar with third edition and we've got a lot more games under our belt, maybe we start getting a little more fancy and more constrained with it. But for right now, it was just getting games on the table. That's great. Um, so, at the other, what was the name of the what's the name of the other store that um, is in the Northeast? Uh, Meeple Madness is the store up there. Gotcha. Also, a very and, nice uh, store, I should say. Yeah, I've never been there. Um, I'm I follow them on Facebook, and it looks like a gorgeous store, but I've never been there. It's a nice layout. It really is. It's a table space. Um, and are they pretty good as far as supporting uh, miniature games in general? They are. They're primarily a board game store, but they are willing to carry most miniatures. They don't currently carry any weird on the shelves, but they'll special order everything we've ever asked them to. Yeah, and I'll tell you, um, this is another thing for people to think about, too. Um, it, it's frustrating when you walk into a store and you don't see... Um, you know, weird stuff on there. And there's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing that happens there because, um, carrying inventory as a store is, is very expensive. Um, and there was uh, a local store here that really didn't carry Malifaux. Um, and, uh, I thought they did something very clever because we all made a concerted effort to special order through them. 
Um, and, uh, it is cause it's been my experience that that's how a store will begin to go. Well, you know, boy, a lot of people are ordering Malifaux. Um, and what this store owner did, which I thought was clever is, you know, I'd go in there and I'd special order a crew box and a, this model and that model and whatever was special ordered, he'd got two of, and he'd put the second one on the shelf. And, uh, I asked him about it and he said, well, I know that at least one person, likes this and it saves me from trying to figure out, you know, what's popular, what's not popular. Uh, and it ended up, they ended up, you know, I ended up having a full shelf of Malifaux. Um, and then he went beyond just ordering it that way. So for those of you out there that have a local store, that's not, um, stocking Malifaux highly recommend as tempting as the prices on the internet can be. I highly recommend pushing your players to special order through the store. And, uh, you might be amazed. They might end up having a section of Malifaux, uh, there on the shelves. Yeah. It's, it's been kind of a difficult period ever since the sort of, unplanned announcement of third edition um gigabytes 2 is is actually currently not having second edition malifo stuff on their shelves um just because they haven't been able to sell any during this lull period yep. um but they're going to be picking up third edition when it comes out they're going to have the starter boxes on there and and you know like i say we're really pushing to get it back because uh it's just like you said that it's, it's hard for a sort store to carry all that inventory if it's not moving and especially I mean, we're just acknowledge this too. There was a lot of SKUs, a lot of different stock units in second edition. And I think third edition is going to clean a lot of that up and make it easier for stores to carry. Uh, I agree. I agree. So Josh, was it tough, you know, you know, having kind of a growth league running in two different stores? It actually wasn't. We were able to report all of our games um, right through. We created a Facebook group or an event specifically for the league. And we were able to report all our games to there. So as soon as we play one, we get on there, give some details, uh, mission, deployment, um, strats and schemes, pool, whatnot. And, um, and yeah, like it was super easy. We were able to report all of our games every week without ever driving an hour and a half down to gigabytes. And I would imagine, again, you know, the way that we've been talking about it, it allowed you guys to, um, you know, to have that almost cross mini meta participation and feel like, you know, everybody was involved. Um, so I think that that's a, that's very cool. And I would assume that, uh, the tournament at the end was a chance for kind of battle of the stores. Yeah. It, um, I mean, it definitely turned out where the, the meeple folk came down and uh, really represented, uh, their little mini meta. What's up? Uh, they whooped us, I think is the technical term. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> Um, we've got some catching up to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was good to have them there representing that growing meta, um, at, at the other store. Um, and again, seeing what we're up against and, uh, knowing now that we have to pick up our game a little bit. So here's another thing guys, cause we have three, three stores here in the triangle, um, uh, in the Raleigh Durham area that, uh, that we play Malifaux on. So we have three different nights to choose from and, uh, it um, one thing that we have in place, which I think is really cool, and we've extended it out to also the Charlotte Meta, the Eastern Carolina Meta, and South Carolina, is we have what we call the store trophy. So every time there's a tournament, um, basically, you know, every player declares a store. You know, I play out of this store, and every 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 player, you know, has kind of their home store of the of all the stores in North Carolina. And at the end of the tournament, we give one of whatever store 
placed the best as a total group gets the trophy and gets to keep the trophy at that store until the next North Carolina tournament. Um, so, and it sounds to me like that just Meeple would have the tournament trophy at all times, but it's still a cool idea for you guys. <laughs> at the rate we're going. Yeah. It, it might be good, uh, especially if we can get another store added into the mix. Uh, I'd love to get something like that going. Yeah. It's, it sounds really dumb. Um, but, Trust me, at the end of a North Carolina tournament, everybody goes, who got the trophy? People love their trophies. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I believe it. I believe it. They sure do. So, you know, again, to reiterate what we've talked about, um, this this growth league format, for those of you that are really trying to get the ball rolling, even only if it ends up being three or four of you to start with, um, it, is something to look into. Um, and I think, um, you know, considering Brian's very simple but effective format is the way to go. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back from the break, I'm going to want to talk about the tournament that Matt ran at the end of this growth league. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. So we talked about, you know, how neat a growth league can be. And, you know, I, I love growth leagues. And but what I really love is growth leagues that finish with a tournament because it, it puts a nice end cap on kind of that multi-week event. And uh, Matt, from my understanding, you actually ran the league ending tournament. Uh, which store was it held in? We actually held it at uh, Gigabytes um, just because that's where Brian and I uh, are more often. And it's closer by so it just was really convenient and uh yeah and uh so we set it up there and um as i mentioned earlier uh you know we still got participation from the uh the folks from meeple so i mean that was really nice to to have them participate as well the, the cap off that league so speaking of which how many players were in the tournament well we actually only had uh eight players and one dedicated ringer in fact um uh matt carter who we've had on the show before he was our dedicated ringer um, you know, also just kind of, uh, observing and seeing how things were going on as well. Uh, so I don't know if the eight players we had the tournament matchup with Brian as the participate in the league, but I mean, again, it's, it's good numbers, uh, considering sort of the lull that we've been in recently. So, I mean, I was happy with, with eight, especially, you know, pre-release, pre-official release, you know? Yeah. So. Eight, eight players are eight players. Um, and considering the weird time that we've been in, um, I wouldn't be discouraged by that at all. Absolutely um, not. <laughs> So, Matt, can you kind of give us an idea? Uh, was it three rounds? How, how was it structured? Yeah, it was It was nothing too crazy. I mean, it was a standard three-round uh, fixed-faction tournament. Uh, just kind of like with the Grow League, I didn't want to put a bunch of restrictions on things. So uh, there was nothing in regards to, I mean, people could bring Dead Man's Hand if they wanted to. Um, you know, no fixed masters. Um, you know, no uh, limitations on uh, 
dual masters. I know that's been thrown around in some circles, but we wanted to leave it as open as possible. Uh, so again, people coming off the row league could jump right in. I mean, we've enti- we've entitled the tournament, you know, what have you learned? You know, uh, an idea to culminate. Yeah, <laughs> to, to culminate just what everyone had been learning up until that point, getting the hang of third edition and just bringing it to the table and seeing how things work out for them, you know? So that was kind of the idea. And um, can you give us an idea? So of the eight players, um, how many people played Guild? How many? I, I'm really curious as we get into the birth of third edition, um, kind of what the spread was on uh, factions. Well, I, I hate to disappoint you, but we didn't actually have any Guild. Um, in fact, that's, that's one of the weird things about uh, uh, the Atlanta meta is that we've never really had a strong showing of Guild. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, huh. they're, they're a good faction that they do well, obviously, but I'm just nobody's really picked up on it. Um, more uh, around here, what people tend to gravitate to is we we had a large turnout of of ten thunders, which is pretty standard around here. Uh, <laughs> um, so that was our biggest showing. But we also had uh, Arcanists, uh, we had Rezzers, we had Outcasts. Uh, no Gremlins to speak of at at this show. Um, so. Um, yeah, I mean, most everyone was represented, I think, uh, at least to a small degree. Yeah, we even had some Neverborn, which is like Guild, a, a faction that has been historically underrepresented in Atlanta. Um, it'll be interesting as, you know, when the game launches, as you guys, um, you know, start bringing, because I think that's when we're going to see the surge of new players. Um, when kind of the word gets out that the, uh, when I say new players, I'm including returning players, of course. But um, a lot of times uh, you'll have those players that come in and go, you know, well, what's a master or a faction nobody else is playing? So you, you might even that out, but it's, re- it's amazing. Like almost every meta I talk to, there always seems to be one or two factions that are just historically under underrepresented um and ours here in north carolina it's always been by you um we just and you know i don't know it's because alex schmidt scared everybody off of Bayou, but uh it was pretty much alex and then john fox would play with it for a little while and goof off with it but and so would his son but just generally speaking it was always an underrepresented faction so matt who uh well let's cut to the chase um who who's on the podium and who won uh, one of our players, actually, Brian mentioned a Neverborn player. That, that's who took this thing. Was wow. uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, a gentleman named Brian, another Brian, uh, he, I think he primarily played Pandora, if I remember correctly. Um, he played he played Nakima for his first two rounds. And then the final, he took Pandora with a second master. Nice. Yeah, it was a uh, Pandora-Dreamer combination, if, if I'm remembering correctly. I've heard there's good synergy there. Yeah, you would think. I mean, both of them want you to fail those willpower duels. So, yep. And uh, second place, uh, second place was uh, Josh. So nice yeah, with his uh, with his ten thunders. I mean, I'm I'm not sure who were you playing in the last round, Josh. So I played Yanlo twice, and I did Asami for the second round. Very cool. Jan Lowe is being built uh, for Rezzers for me right now. He's going to be my uh, my next big crew. So I might have to pick your brain a little bit, uh, Josh. Um, and third place? And our third place uh, was our player, Brandon. He was uh, running Arcanist. I, uh, I think he played Mei Fang for most of the day. Um, I could be wrong on that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm walking around. You know, basically just trying to keep an eye on things and answer questions. So sometimes I don't pay attention. <laughs> but uh, I think it was primarily May Fang. He might have thrown Sandeep on the table. I'm not 100% sure about that. But I know he's a big fan of Sandeep, so I'm sure he put him on at least once. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was uh, had a conversation uh, with a couple of guys over in the UK, um, and they're telling me that he's not as bonkers as he was in two, uh, you know, pre-nerf Sandeep. Um, but uh, more than one Arcanist has told me that Sandeep is still the strongest master, in their opinion, um, in Arcanist. It's just not he's he's not so much stronger that you're only going to see Arcanist play Sandeep. I agree. I mean, the um, his his new uh, summoning mechanic and you know uh, combining up the uh, the gammon and the golems, I mean, seems really solid. Um, I mean, just I mean, actually, from your podcast the other day, I think Karis is going to be really good uh, moving forward with Arcanist. So, um, I mean, we'll see. I suppose. Yeah, it uh James Doxy's a huge fan of her and uh like I said after you listen to hear him talk about it it's she sounds unbeatable. <laughs> right. Um uh to be to be fair though, uh it's hard to beat um James whatever he plays. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, and Josh, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of, I, I want you to walk us through your three rounds, if you don't mind. Um, so I guess if we can start off, uh, Matt, you have the, the pools there. Can you tell us uh, what the pool was for round one? Yeah. So our first round, uh, the strategy was uh, plant explosives and our schemes were breakthrough, take prisoner, power ritual, assassinate and search the ruins. So Josh, what, what master did you bring into that? So I brought in Yanlo. I've been playing with him a lot, and I've, I've become a big fan of him. Um, more so, like his his henchmen and enforcers are just really good at playing explosives. Um, I play him real tanky, so I take Monos and I take Azamu. So I have a real heavy armor crew. Mm-hmm. And um, who is it? The the Kamainu. I just started playing with them with their armor too, and then throwing Manos's Regen on them. Those guys are unkillable. Move seven once they have the um, upgrade on them. I, I've heard he's really good. And we have, um, you know, one of our 10 Thunder videos, of course, was on Yan Lo. And uh, Ray Flynn uh, is a huge fan of him. And uh, uh, I think it was a week or two ago, we released, uh, or um, Steve Bynum put out uh, a deep dive on Yan Lo. And he, he just, he sounds great. And it's, um, he, that's why he's next in my queue. Are you having as much fun with him as he seems to be? I mean, he just seems to me like a fun master to run. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's one of those things like once my opponents figure out they need to kill him turn one or two, then it becomes this epic game of, Oh my God, can I keep him away just long enough to keep him? you know, get him super Saiyan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He gets, he gets crazy about round three. Yeah. So what? Um, so who did, who did you play against, and what uh, crew did they bring? So I played against Brian, who ended up taking the tournament, and um, he took Nakima into it. And I've got a little bit of familiarity. I played Neverborn throughout closed beta, and um, yeah, I, I forgot how killy she was. Even against my heavy armor tanky crew, man, flipped Red Joker on uh, one of the damage slips from Nakima. I thought I was going to cry. but uh no it was a a really tight game we both ended up taking breakthrough and search the ruins because both our crews can get across the board pretty quick between soul porters pushes and just nikima's insane fly with me um so we ended up playing this crazy game where we hit each other in the middle and then ran away from each other to each other's deployment zone (laughs) Uh, any big learnings coming out of the game? Would you approach a game against Nekaba differently uh, than now that you've, you know, have that game under your belt? No, I, I think it was a pretty good crew. I ended up taking um, 
two of the Ashigaru, and I'm a big fan of them. But I think in that mission, I needed more of those Kamainu with their move seven running across the board. Gotcha. But overall, like, no, the crew was solid. I think it was a good pick. Good, good. And Brian, uh, what did you bring round one? Uh, I have not gotten Yanlo on the table yet. He sounds like a good fit for this, but I'm not used to his combination of uh, of upgrades and enhancements yet. Uh, so I brought in Jacob Lynch, who was my old reliable in second edition, and I still like him in third. Um, I was up against a Parker crew, and um, uh, I got badly beaten in this one. I had uh, one key corner where I had reached some guys out on. I was trying to do um, power ritual and um, just got really bogged down by a couple of units I couldn't get past. Um, you know, I, uh, I I still really like the way Lynch plays. I mean, I miss uh, having my super aces power, but having a lot of fun things to do with brilliance is great. Um, I really have grown to hate run and gun. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the recurring things we talked about at this tournament is that, you know, your crew is broken, but Every crew is broken because that's how Malifaux works. <laughs> you just have to find a way to uh, to adapt to the particular brokenness your opponent brings. And we're going to hear a lot of that, um, I think, as more people start playing, uh, because you could not be you couldn't be more right, Brian. Like, and you felt that a little bit in two, but here's what's going to happen in three. One, I think that the power level is higher for everybody. Um, so I think like, and it's because of the keyword, it's because of the synergies that you get and the way models combine with each other now. And it's going to be lack of familiarity because if you've played against Lynch or you've played against Yan Lo in two, you haven't played them in three, they're different. Um, they feel the same. They are deceptively the same, but but they're different. Um, and I like that phrase of, uh, uh, boy, your crew is broken. It's just a question of uh, how badly broken mine is as well, because it does feel that way. Yeah, but, um, but you know, it's, it's just a, a lot of fun learning this. You know, I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of, um, I don't want to say negative play experience, but there's going to be a lot of games as people get into third edition. You know, whenever you first deal with a new crew, it's like, I, I have no idea how to cope with this thing, um, which is why I'm trying to get as many games as possible in just to, to learn more stuff. Yeah, we're hearing chatter right now um, about, you know, Lynch is broken. Um, he dominated tournament A, tournament B. And um, I think people forget that, you know, this is all brand new. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. It takes time. And, you, you know, you start to figure it out and the meta adjusts. And it's part of what's great about Malifaux. And uh, the fact that you declare masters before you build crews, I don't think we're used to it yet. Um, so I don't think we're taking full advantage of it yet. Um, so I, I caution everybody the way Brian is hinting at to be careful, you know, um, jumping on top of the uh, milk crate and calling anybody broken or overpowered or how did this make it out of beta until until the meta matures a little bit yeah one thing i've seen is if you learn how to play your master well every single master feels broken agreed until your opponent figures out the shtick well yeah nothing is worse um than playing a good player with a solid crew (laughs) (laughs) it uh all you used to hear is you know and this is back in 2e is that gremlins gremlins aren't very good gremlins aren't very good and i used to tell people just play one game with alex schmidt uh and his gremlin crew and after he, he he just takes total advantage of you then you realize that 
and this is part of what I love about Malifaux, it's, it's, uh, it's not the crew. <laughs> it's the player that has the biggest influence on who wins and loses. And I, th- and it feels like, and it's way early to say this is a fact yet, but it feels like that three might even be more balanced than two, um, which makes my statement, I think even more true. Uh, I hope I'm right on that. Yeah, it, it certainly feels that way so far. Um, you know, from my perspective, I, I have a I have a problem when I first got into second edition Malifaux and I decided I was going to play ton, t- 10 Thunders. I went out and bought every model they had because I wanted to be able to put anything on the board. And as a result, I was ping ponging here and there and didn't really learn any of them well. You know, towards the end, I sort of focused on a couple masters and was getting better. And right now, where I am in third edition is still trying to sort of feel out all the different crews and seeing which ones I like the most. But I definitely want to try and focus on one or two because knowing your crew well is so crucial. We just, uh, you could, couldn't be more right, Brian. We just recently picked up um, about five or six new players here in the last month or two. And that is the resounding advice that we're giving these guys is pick a crew and not just pick a master, like pick eight models. And regardless of the pool, regardless of the opponent, play those eight models. And the one advice I gave to a guy the other day was when you get to the point where you don't have to look at the cards anymore, where you know it's stat seven, you know what the crow trigger does, then you're ready to start exploring um, because you know you're learning the game and you're learning the crew at the same time. And as intricate and deep as Malifaux is, if you're ping ponging, um, I don't think that's a recipe for not only success but to enjoy the game. I, I can vouch that it's not a recipe for success. I still enjoy the game though. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, and, and I think what kind of breeds that because I did the same thing, Brian, when I started, I b- bought Guild and within minutes ended up having owning, owning every model in Guild because the format makes it feels like that's what you should do, right? You get the pool first and then, you know, which master is going to be the best for the pool. And um, but, uh, you know, I think fix the list for a little while um, till you kind of learn the intricacies and subtleties of the crew, I think is is very smart. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, so let's talk about round two. Uh, Josh, who'd you face in round two? Uh, round two, I actually faced the same Jack or the same Parker Barrows crew that 
Brian faced round one. Um, I ended up taking Asami into him because I know Asami. Oh, do we want to talk about the pool? Yeah, let's talk about the pool. Thanks. Yeah, to, to give you the pool real quick. Yeah, uh, so the second round we had uh, Corrupted Idols. Uh, always a fun one. And then uh, for schemes, we had uh, Dig Their Graves, uh, Dene Charges, Outflank, Vendetta, and Deliver a Message. So your opponent in round two? Yeah, my opponent in round two was the same Parker Bears uh, player that Brian played round one. Um, he stuck with Parker Barrows, and I ended up taking Asami because I know how strong she is in, um, in Corrupted Idols. Um, with her summons, they can't interact the turn they come in, but if you just plan ahead and you keep feeding guys, they can take those wounds and keep pushing those markers. You pretty much have an engine to constantly be pushing these markers, whereas most people will run out of wounds eventually. Um, he, we both ended up taking deliver the message, and what was it? He took dig. I've played against Parker a lot, and I think dig's kind of a trap with him. So he ended up not scoring full on that, and I ended up taking outflank, and with the insane amount of means I had, I was able to just control the board. It ended up being just kill, kill, kill the entire game. Um, I think I ended up taking six or seven points on that one. And he ended up with like three. Nice. Um, Cause it was like Jorogumu with train ninja turn one, pushing right into combat, like stupid stuff like that. Yep. Um, Parker's strong. Uh, so good for you. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big win. Um, Brian, uh, Brian mentioned it when the first time you come up against a run and gun crew, um, it uh, it's frustrating because they're so mobile and they're and they're and they're still attacking. Yeah, and like I said, I have gotten a lot of uh, playtime win with against Parker because one of my primary opponents has been testing him out. So that gave me a huge advantage in that game. Yeah, and proves the point that we made a little bit earlier, right? That uh, you you have to you have to face these masters to to really get your arms around them. How about you, Brian? Who did you play second round? Uh, I also uh, took Asami into this round for pretty much the same reasons Josh brought up. It just seemed like having the uh, extra sort of wound batteries of the summon models would be good for Corrupted Idols, and it was, um, because that was the one round I won on the day. Um, I was going up against a McCabe crew, so it was the uh, the terrible specter of Ten Thunders on Ten Thunders Violence. Um, I... Uh, I'm really enjoying Asami. I think she may be one of my mains in third edition. Um, I like the fact that she has interesting ways to sustain uh, the summon models. Uh, I had a, uh, a 13 in mass in my hand on the first turn, got a Jorogumo out, and was able to keep him for the entire game just because of the way we have to, to remove those flicker counters. Um, uh, I also really liked having the shadow effigy in this in this mission because uh, remember the mission is gold uh, when you have to interact. Um, but uh, but yeah, this was a, a close one, a lot of scrapping in the middle, but uh, but I managed to pull it out. <laughs> good for you, man. <laughs> Usually, my only win comes in the last round of the tournament when I'm fighting for spoon. <laughs> All right. So uh, last round, Josh, uh, this is obviously uh, where you ended up taking third. But can you tell us uh, who you played and what you brought? 
Yeah, I took Yanlo again. Like I said, I've been real comfortable with him lately, and I've kind of figured him out. It's like you said, once you kind of know their card, that's the guy you go with. And that's where I'm at with Yanlo. Yeah, so for round three, uh, our strategy was turf war. I figured go something simple last round. And uh, schemes, we had deliver a message again. Uh, also saw assassinate again. I included hold other forces, clump, and uh, harness delay line. All right, and so you, you brought... Uh... And you didn't mention who you faced, Josh. Uh, what was the, uh, who, who did the opponent bring? So I swear I'm not following right behind Brian the entire rant or the entire tournament, but I played <laughs> you his <laughs> yeah, You might have, I don't know. So I played his McCabe opponent round three and uh, into turf four, I ended up taking Jan Low mostly because I was comfortable with him. And I also know he's very tanky. And turf war ends up becoming really just like a mini reckoning. Like it's a lot about killing. Um, uh, but I gotta tell you, McCabe is fast. That guy gets around the board. It's and, amazing, uh, isn't it? Yeah. That was my first time facing him and I haven't got to play with him yet. Uh, I actually went and picked up the crew right after the tournament because I'm like, yeah, that's my team crew. Um, <laughs> but it, it was, it was a really good match. Um, Yanlo still ended up tanking pretty well, but uh, but McCabe, man, he gets around. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of McCabe in three because I think that not only is he strong, um, but uh, I think that he's going to prove to be a uh, a very uh, forgiving master because of his mobility. That uh, I think for a lot of players that aren't great at the positioning aspect of the game yet, McCabe allows you to not get it right. Um, and still get to where you need to go uh, because not only is he fast, but the rest of his crew is too. Yeah, the the secret tunnels or whatever they are. Yeah, the whole crew is very quick. Yep, no, very cool. And uh, I assume you won? It, it was a tight game, yeah. Um, what was it, 6-5 in the end? Wow. Yeah, like most of my games of the day were tight. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing I like about three. How about you, Brian? Uh, how did you finish out the day? Um, well, uh, I brought Mei Feng because, uh, again, I wanted to have a lot of the mobility. She's one that I've probably got the most games in with in third edition. Uh, I'm still kind of fine-tuning what I've got with her, but I have a pretty good idea for where she stands. I really like the mobility. Uh, and I went up against a Seamus crew. And speaking of how annoying secret passages can be, um, that and the constant, uh, <laughs> oh, well, you thought that was Seamus, but actually it's the, uh, it's the copycat killer. Um, it, it was a, a frustrating and entertaining way. It was just like, I couldn't get anybody pinned down. Uh, I think I wound up losing this one by one point. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, very fun game. A lot of just all kinds of things, teleporting around the board, trying to get stuff done. Um, just a really fun game. Uh, my my main takeaway from this one is that I am going to keep taking to a, a Tanuki in probably almost every crew. Uh, wow. As virtual models go, they just seem really good. Uh, they've got great interact stuff. they got condition removal healing. Um, they just seem like a really handy utility piece, and they're cheap, and I can usually fit one in. 
Very, very cool. Well, it sounds like it was a fun event and it sounds like, um, you know, you accomplished, you know, some of your goals, which is to get, you know, get models on, on the table. And uh, I'll be very uh, anxious to hear um, how some of those new players, whether that you attracted, not again, playing in, but by watching the league happen. Um, before we finish out, though, I'd like to uh, really kind of get um, some initial hot takes or, or top line thoughts from each of you on on third edition. So, Matt, can can you start us off? You know, if someone who was you know played two but hasn't played in six or eight months, what do you think is kind of the uh, the the big things they should know about third edition? Well. I think the big thing going into third edition is if you played second edition, don't expect to know what's going on. Um, I mean, obviously we talked about uh, earlier about, um, uh, you know, picking up a master and uh, sticking with them. And I think that is probably the, the most important thing. Um, I mean, I jumped from, uh, from Arcanist to Outcast for the, uh, for the beta. And I think I'm probably going to stick with them for third edition for the time being. And it's it's really handy just to pick one master, one crew, and just try to figure them out. And as as I think you mentioned earlier, you know, getting to that point where you don't really need to look at the cards, you understand uh, what your triggers are, what suits you need, that sort of thing. Um, I think that's really important. Moving in is, I mean, as much as much as there's that sort of um, uh, that need that wants to look at all the new models or. Oh, oh! This this master's changed, or this crew's changed. I want to see what they're what they're doing. I mean, sure, go check that out. But I mean, bouncing around is not going to do you any favors in this in this new edition because it's it's a lot of the uh, the mechanics are at least similar enough that it's not a completely new game, but it is a new game. And uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to figure out, and uh, you'll be doing yourself favors moving forward if you if you try to to limit yourself. I know that's kind of a in vain statement, but you know, try to limit yourself as far as at least what you're putting to the the table initially, so you can figure everything out. I, I agree. I completely agree. How how about you, Josh? It's kind of the same thing. Like this game, every master again feels very broken, but you've got to learn that master. Um, those matches where you go and play against somebody for the first time and you just get creamed, it's because they've been playing that master and they figured it out. They're not just it's not as straightforward as it felt in M2E where this master does this. All you have to do is do this. It's more about the cruise. And with the themes, it's less about, hey, this is my go-to crew for every single master. It's more about, this is the crew I need to take in this pool. This is the master I need to take in this pool. So, Yeah, I, and that's actually... And that's a big part of what makes me excited about this edition. Um, how about you, Brian? What uh, what are kind of your your big thoughts on three? Um, well, I'm really excited about it in general. Um, I am a big fan of the keyword system. I think for people who are new to the game or coming back in after a couple editions, that's really nice. It, it makes it a lot easier to do that kind of focus on one crew thing because you can pretty much buy a box and maybe one or two additional models and you've got kind of the core stuff that is guaranteed to work well together. The synergy within all the keywords is really strong and effective. Um, you know, obviously there's going to big, be a big learning curve, um, you know, not just for the crew you're playing, but the crew you're playing against. Um, I had a game against Matt Carter a while back and I made the mistake of playing a, a master for the first time 
against a crew that he had played a lot, and he also knew the master I was playing better than I did. Uh, so while he was very helpful in pointing out the things I did wrong after I did them, uh, it was not a very successful game. Um, but it, it's just, I'm so psyched about seeing this go forward. I really think the game is just uh, tighter and cleaner and so, in so many ways, and uh, I think it's going to be a, a tremendous amount of fun. So I, I've got to ask this, um, and I'm going to ask you guys to be honest. I don't know if you will be. Uh, is Matt Carter any good at this game? Uh, I've I've played several games against him, and uh, I mean, obviously, he helped you know design this game, and he remembers a lot. But you have to understand that he's he's worked with so many models and trying to remember all the rules that you know he, he makes mistakes. He actually you know misremembers certain things here or there too because he's you know, got all this up in his head. Um, he's, he's, I mean, he's good at the game. I mean, I've, I've beaten him a couple times. He's beaten me a couple times. Um, like right now he's, uh, taking a stab at, uh, Hamlin, which only I think gotten two games in with so far. It's, it's been fun. And, uh, you know, we played a game, we actually tried doing a, uh, a three player game the other day. And, uh, that might've been one of the most fun games I think I've played, you know, since, since the beta started and all works. Um, just all the shenanigans that were going on when you had, you know, three people just, you know, <laughs> coming at each other and, you know, <laughs> you didn't know your know, secret alliances were going on for a turn or two. And then, you know, you stab them in the back, you know, kind of thing. I mean, it was just, it was so much fun. Well, I think it helps that, uh, Matt's a super nice guy. Um, and, oh, yeah. uh, he, he was, uh, he was a great guest on the show. Um, and, uh, I was, I was, uh, really, really enjoyed my time with him. I would not expect him to be great at the game. Um, and Brian, you're going to back me up on this. It's been my experience that the better you are at the game, the worse of a human being you are. So for guys, guys like Brian and I who, um, are just solid, good, nice guys, we're just doomed to be bad at the game. I, I will say that our our local uh, local tournament badass uh, John Goldburn is also one of the nicest You're guys. You're not helping me with this at all, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm, I mean, and and here's the thing, because the the scale is not the same for Malifaux, because uh, to put it in a family friendly way, Malifaux seems to have a much lower jerk quotient than a lot it of really miniatures does. games. Even the the sort of less nice players are still nice in most cases. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's really funny you say that because when I left 40K and found the Malifaux uh, scene here in the Raleigh area, that was one of the first things that I noticed was just like, it's just a nicer group of people. Um, and I have heard that consistently across the board. And I don't know, do you guys have any guesses why that is? Because I don't. I think part of it may be because it's a, a smaller game in terms of overall players and also in uh, in financial commitment. I mean, you have people in, let's say, 40K, for an example, who, you know, who have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on their armies and traveling around. And it's, you know, high visibility thing and it gets very competitive. And I think, you know, even at the, the highest level of Malifaux, it's not that big a deal. You know, you, you get some some prizes and you get your name on a trophy and that's cool. I just don't think it attracts the people who are hyper competitive in that way as much as something like a, a Warhammer 40K does. I, I would agree with that statement as well. Uh, I mean, there's sort of a mentality of uh, 
I guess with some other games, it's more of a pay to uh, pay to win, so to speak, uh, where you get the biggest, baddest toys on the table and, you know, you've got a much better chance of winning. Whereas this game, I mean, it, it boils so, it, so much down to, uh, I mean, even what your your strategy and your scheme pool is. I mean, every every game is different. Um, so I just think like uh, people can go into it, you know, not necessarily expecting to win. So I think that kind of takes some of the pressure off. Um, and they just can go and have some fun with it. I also think the aesthetic of the game, like it's hard to take yourself too seriously when you're playing with like, like giant teddy bears. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yep. No, that's very, very true. It's, um, it, I think it's a testament to the game. Um, and I agree. You, I mean, you can't netlist this game and, uh, you definitely can't buy a trophy in this game. Uh, you have to earn it. Um, and it, uh, it's what I love and hate about the game is, uh, I, I'm, I've got, I've got to get better if I plan on winning. I can't just, uh, start a podcast and start winning or buy a bunch of models and start winning. So, um, gentlemen, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think it was a good insight, uh, for the listeners out there. And again, uh, if, for those of you out there that um, are thinking about, you know, ways that you can help uh, your meta, um, I think this Growth League tournament format is a good format. And uh, uh, Brian and Matt, do you mind if people uh, reach out to you on uh, Weird Place um, if they have any questions? Yeah, that, that's fine by me. I'm on uh, uh, I'm on a Weird Place as, as Brian Schoner. I'm also on the Weird Forums as One Little Thunder. And if you are in or around Georgia or thinking about visiting, uh, please join the Georgia Malifaux Facebook group. We'd, we'd love to talk to you. That's that's awesome. Yeah, pretty much uh, what what Brian said. Uh, you know, I'm on a Weird Place uh, pretty often. Uh, you know, adding my little two cents here and there, and. Um, I'm nomadic X nightmare on uh, the weird forums. So, I mean, you can definitely send me a message if you have questions or anything along those lines, or just want to reach out. I appreciate it. And uh, Josh, obviously the same thing, right? They can just uh, reach out to you on Facebook. No, absolutely. Great. And uh, Brian, uh, I'm going to give you the last 10 seconds. Why should I be listening to your podcast? Uh, because we have a, a person with an encyclopedic collection and knowledge of board games that is frankly terrifying, and then a bunch of other people who are just kind of normal nerds who make a lot of jokes and pick on each other. <laughs> All right, good. And like I said, guys, I'll have a link to uh, Brian's um, podcast, and um, I, I'm not kidding when I tell you that uh, I uh, – it's it's a it's a really good listen, uh, especially if you like board games, and it's not there's no other podcast that's quite like it. Um, the format and uh, kind of the approach I think is great. Um, so guys, again, thanks uh, thanks, and um, I might try to catch up with you in a little bit after three's been out to uh, kind of check in. Absolutely, thanks for having us. Uh, you're you're doing good. a great job with the show, and uh, I appreciate you reaching out. Ah, thanks, man. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and write a review on this podcast so we can find more people almost as cool as you are. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching for Third Floor Wars. That's T-H-I-R-D. We'll catch you next time on The Third Floor.